Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. And um, I'm going to stay in my little box right here. I was telling the first service yesterday, I, uh, for the first time in my life, ran a half marathon uh, yesterday. And um, it wasn't just any half marathon. It was a Spartan race. And uh, if you know about that, some obstacles, and uh, it was pretty intense. What struck me, though, is I showed up to run the race yesterday, and I had to sign a waiver. And in bold red letters on the waiver, it said, there is a real chance you may die. <laughs> How many are like me, got a little bit crazy in them and say, that sounds like fun? <laughs> a little bit, huh? A, uh, and I, without, you know at the risk of maybe sounding a bit cheesy, I do want to give that same warning over my message today, that there is a real chance you may die. Hopefully not physically, but certainly uh, symbolically. I want to invite us at the end of service today in a moment of sacrifice and surrender to take Jesus' word seriously, to respond to his invitation of following Jesus as dying to ourself. Today, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to warn you, 11 a.m., it's a heavy revy today, okay? <laughs> heavy one. You ready for something real? Yeah. All right. First Samuel chapter 15. And uh, take you, really, I think the next two weeks in church, I want to speak something that um, God has really been speaking to me, challenging me on. And uh, I want to take you to the life of a man who, for me, has got to be one of the most sobering accounts of leadership in the Bible. And it was a man who started out really well, but through a series of bad decisions, ended his life in a very different spot. And um, really, I think to speak, I'll just I'll share from this title, something better than sacrifice. Something better than sacrifice. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, picking up in verse 19, the prophet Samuel speaks to the king Saul. He's the man we're looking at. It says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission that the Lord sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek. I, devoted, I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And in one of the most famous, maybe, um, principles of wisdom in the Bible, Samuel says, for behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as of the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity as idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't, but the, the book of 1 Samuel was positioned in the Old Testament after the people of Israel enter into the promised land that God had led them through the wilderness, 40 years of wandering, leads them into the promised land. And when they get there, they keep asking God for a king. Now, God didn't like this idea because he had called his people to be different, to be set apart. And really, God wanted to be their king. He said, you don't need to be a king. But they kept asking God, give us a king because we want to be like everyone around us. We want to be like the surrounding nations. And God, God said, 
no, no, I wanna be your king. You're called to be different. And I just wanna say as a bit of an introduction here this morning, that idea is not lost on God. God is still into people being different. His people being, the biblical word for it, is consecrated. Joshua chapter three, right before the people of Israel enter into the promised land, the day before they are given one instruction, and that instruction is to consecrate themselves. It's a word that means to be set apart for God's use and to kind of be surrendered uh, completely. Consecration works two ways. It's, it's on one hand, a full surrender of ourselves, but on the other hand, it's to be used only for God, that God gets to determine how he wants to use our lives. And so Joshua tells the people, we're going into the promised land tomorrow. Your instruction is to consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I want to set somebody free here today. Your job is not to do amazing things for God. God does amazing things for God. Your job is simply to consecrate yourselves. And God is still into this. God is still into the idea of his people being different for how can you change a world that you are exactly like? Look at your neighbor in the eyes and make it awkward for a bit and just tell him, I'm different. I'm different. Or you could say, you're different. God is still into this idea. And so as they enter the promised land, they're like, God, we want a king. And God gets so sick of them asking that he says to Samuel, just give the people what they want. And so from the beginning, God is kind of against this idea, but he's like, fine, I'll, I'll listen to you. And so Saul begins to be the kind of person, hello. <laughs> so, so Samuel goes looking for a king and finds Saul and anoints Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 10, the spirit of the Lord falls upon Saul and he starts his life with great promise. But he makes a number of bad decisions that we're gonna take a look at, one of which is here today when, when he is given instructions to go to war and to, to destroy the Amalekites because of their sin. And Saul takes a moment where he says, I'm gonna, do, uh, I'm gonna follow God's, God's thing, but I'm only gonna really obey about half of the way because I'm gonna keep what's good about them for myself, but I'm going to uh, destroy the rest. He, he really gets rid of the political threat and, and in, in some sense has a foot in both camps and says, I want earthly treasure and God's favor. He says, I want God to bless me, but I want it my way. And so there's this moment where because of Saul's disobedience is so egregious to God, God removes his hand from his life, removes his spirit from his life, which is what we're going to take a look at next week. And to simply have this moment where he, he gives the prophet Samuel a, a word to speak to Saul. And that's what I want to take a look at today. There's a lot maybe to be found in this passage, but really I think there's three areas that I want to help to walk through of what I would call Samuel's prophetic correction to the disobedient king. And the first thing he says is he says, why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? What a question, right? You know, there's only a few places in the Bible that God asks a question. And I think it's important we pay attention to because, at least in my reading, in some sense, the question is always the same that God asks us. And God asks us, why didn't you obey? It was the question that God asked Adam and Eve in the garden. It was the question he asked Canaan when he killed his brother Abel. It was the question maybe that God would ask to Pontius Pilate. It was a question that God asked to Saul. And maybe, maybe that's the question that God is asking you here today. 
Because it, it, I think when God asks a question, it's really important we understand he already knows the answer. So God is asking a question. What I think it, it points to something deep within us, this temptation that, that really I think if we're to look at the way in which we are wired, there is this core fear. And the fear is that if I obey God, I'm going to lose something that I, that I value or that I think I need to live a happy life. There's this fear that obedience to God means giving up something that I deeply want. And I think this fear is, is really from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through today. The enemy is, is constantly baiting us to believe that God doesn't have our best in mind. Genesis chapter one, the Bible says that God creates and for seven days says, it's good, it's good, it's good. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. You know what? The very first question mark in the Bible comes to us from the devil. And it comes to us calling God's character and God's goodness into question. He says, did God really say that it was good? Did God really say, and see, I think it's the pattern of the enemy to put us at odds with our creator and to simply get us to question whether God has our best interests in mind. And the core fear or temptation for all of us on the other end of obedience is really this tension that we feel, this dissonance in our soul that does God know better or do I know better? St. Ignatius said it like this, sin really at its core is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Now think about this today. Every sin in our life can be boiled down to a lack of trust in God. That there is, I think every sin begins with this failure that God doesn't want my good. We we would steal because we don't trust that God will provide for us or bless us. And we will lie because we believe that God won't take care of us. And we hold on to unforgiveness and resentment because we don't trust that God will bring us justice. We cross lines sexually because we don't believe that God will bring us intimacy and fulfillment in his way. Even pride can be really reduced down to this lack of trust in God's character and in his goodness. And every time, I'll say this, every time our trust breaks in God, more often than not, the next decision is always sin. Anytime we say, God, I don't know if you really, if you really know what I'm walking through. Or God, I don't really, I don't really know if you, you, you kind of understand what I'm feeling. Every time our trust breaks in God, more often what I found is the next decision is always sin. What are you saying? I'm saying that every disobedience in our life comes down to an unconditional trust in God. Every disobedience can be solved by simply trusting God. And now hear me today. I've been around church a while too. And I know that there's like, it seems like everyone's advice is just trust God. Like, I'm trying to trust God. How many of you ever felt like they've been trying to trust? Come on. Feel like, I remember trying to make a college decision. That was a big one in my life. God, I'm praying, give, you, give me clarity. I would ask for people for their advice. You know what they would tell me? Trust God. I'm like, God. Oh. Trying to get wisdom on how to 
parent my kids or how to love my wife, people would just be, ah, trust God. I'm like, I'm trying to trust God. I'm not here to tell you. I'm, certainly that's not what you need to hear from me today. Not just telling you like, ah, oh, hands up, don't have anything for you, just trust God. It's frustrating to me. What I am saying to you, trusting God is never easy. It, it might be simple, but it is never easy. Obedience to God is not straightforward. I wanna help bring you freedom today. Trusting God, it's, it's a simple idea, but it is never easy. Think of Proverbs chapter three. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? And lean not on your own understanding. Trust, by definition, is counterintuitive. It is saying, I, I have to make a decision that, even if it doesn't make sense to me, it doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. And I have to trust that God knows what's better for me than I do. That God's only desire for my life is to bring me happiness and fulfillment. And God knows what's better. The Bible says that God doesn't withhold any good thing from my life. Have you thought about this? That means if God, he's not withholding. So if I don't have something, it must mean it's not good for me. And this is where we have to trust that God knows better. We have to lean on his understanding. It's not, trusting God isn't just this passive thing to, to neglect responsibility and refuse to act. Trusting God is the radical obedience to God because he knows better than I do. I think that's a good definition for trust. Trusting God is a radical obedience because he knows better than I do. And where this gets hard is when God will ask us to give up something that doesn't make sense or that I don't like. When God says and, and feels like the, to obey God, we have to give up a career or give up a dream or give up a relationship or give up a desire God is asking us maybe to give up these things because they're not good for us. And you feel like, God, how could you ask me? I can't do that. And this, this decision or, or, or really this failure is when all hell broke loose for Saul. And he said, Samuel says, why didn't you just obey God? And, and Saul said, I did. I think he was saying, I tried to. Like, like, and I was reading this today or, or, or this past week, and as I'm studying this, I'm, I'm seeing so much of myself in Saul. I'm going like, God, cut him a break. He's like trying to do his best. He's trying to lead your people who all through the story are like hell bent on their own destruction. He's trying to be a king. He's trying to honor you. He's faced with incredible pressure. But I think the problem was is that he didn't actually do what God had asked him to do. And there is this danger. Maybe the danger, the way that I would say it today, is there is a danger of an independent spirit. It's the independent spirit. And really that, that just says, I, I, I know better than God knows. And God will ask us to do something. And there's this danger of, of an independent spirit that says, ah, I, I hear you, God, but, but I, I think I actually know better. And what I think we learn from the, the life of Saul is he says, God, I, I want your will, but I want to do it my way. And see, in doing this, we have divorced God's will from God's voice. 
And actually we think that, that, oh, I'll just serve God when it's convenient for me. Or I'll serve God when I, when I understand what's really required. Or I'll get to that stuff later. I'll serve God when it means that I can get what, what I want. Saul's mistake is that serving God was both self-justifying and self-serving. But that's not obedience. Obedience to God is an act of faith. But disobedience is an act of unbelief. Obedience says, God, you know better. But, but disobedience, kind of like what Samuel would say, is, is almost like atheism. Think that God doesn't really matter in this decision. Or, or worse, that God doesn't exist. Think, I'll, I'll, I'll trust God when, 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 I, when I get to it. Even when I don't understand. See, Every parent knows this, right? You can get a child to obey all kinds of ways. You can get a child to obey through incentive. You can get a child to obey through fear, through threats, through duct tape. You'd... I felt like you guys laughed a little too loud on that one. Fear is not a great motivator. You know, we can't, I think every... The heart of every parent is to get their children to obey because they trust us. Because they trust comes from a place of, of love. Actually, I think it's a sign of maturity to say, I know how to obey, not because I'm forced to, but out of trust and out of love. And that even when it doesn't make sense, it may not mean that it's not best for me. Look at verse 23 of the passage we read. Samuel says, don't you know that rebellion is as the sin of divination? What's he saying? He's saying, every time you disobey God, you have put yourself in the place of God. I know this is a sobering passage today. Why is he so mad? I'm not mad. I love you. Every time we disobey God, we have put ourselves in God's place. It's this pride in all of us that says, no, 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 no. Like, I, I I'll hear you, God, but I pass it through the filter of me really getting the things that I want anyway. Thinking of ourselves as equal with him. I don't, I'll just tell you how God told it to me. I don't even know how to sugarcoat this one. I'll just say this. God is not interested in your bargains. I almost obey God. I, I, you know, God, I, I tried to obey you, but you know, I feel like, oh, I, God, I, God, I did what you said, but like 90%, let me tell you today, 90% obedience is still disobedience. Heck, 99% obedience is still disobedience. God's not after your 90%. He wants to know if you will obey him at the word that he speaks. And you know what I've found in my life? Sometimes it's not even the thing that God is asking us. The thing that he's asking us to obey is oftentimes just to see if we will obey. Just to see if, if we'll actually be, be diligent at following God's voice. I was reading a story of uh, the Knights of Templar who were kind of the early Christian um, crusaders. And it said that they would be baptized, but as they would be baptized, what would happen is their whole body would be submerged underwater, but they would hold their swords outside of the water as if to say, God, you can have all of me except this. And it's this confronting image. I found like, I live this way. 
We all live this way. And it's maybe not a sword, but there's things that we hold out of the water of baptisms in our life to say, God, you can have all of me, but, but not this, Jesus. You can have all of my life, but not my paycheck. You can have all of my life, but, but not this relationship. That, that's mine. I worked hard for that. You say, God, you can have all of my life, but, but not, my, not my influence, not my glory, or, or not my identity, not my political beliefs. We hold it out of the water, and there's this temptation, I think, for all of us where we, just like Saul, we hold things that we want or things that we worked hard for, and what, what we end up doing is we give God our leftovers, we think, God, I worked hard for this. It's mine. And we end up, what we end up doing is we'll worship God with the things that we don't want. Worship God with just the bad stuff in our life. Like, I'm going to hold on to what's good. That's what the Bible said Saul did. I'm going to hold on to what's good, but God, you can take what's bad, the things that I wish I could change, things that I wish were different. God, you can have that stuff. Not a problem to give God our past, I think the challenge is to give God your future. Don't make the mistake to say, God, not this. What I learned from Saul is that nothing will destroy your destiny faster than your disobedience. The Bible says that the fear of man brings a snare, but the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Let me, let me preface this or, or, or paraphrase that if I can for a moment. Trusting in anyone or anything else is a trap, but trusting God alone is the wisest way to live. If I put my trust, and trust is, it's like faith, and faith, we all live this way where we, we think something or somebody will give us the life that we want, and we put our trust and our hope in that, but the Bible says that way of living is a trap. That trusting in God, he is the desire beneath every desire that I have. My desire for security, my desire for intimacy, my desire for safety, my desire for love, it's only found in Jesus. It's only found in him. Samuel, the prophet, confronts Saul. He says, he says, no, no, I did obey God. I know we, I know we took the stuff that God told us not to, but, but we were going to give it to him in worship. You know what became so, so scary to me as I read this? Is look at how blinding sin is. It was because of Saul's sin that he was so blinded thinking that he actually was obeying God. See, sin I found over and over again it will blind us to the goodness of God. Sin, it blinds us to the faithfulness of God. Sin, if we're to use the definition, the, every time I'm unwilling to trust that God is able to give me the life that I want, and what happens is I'm blinded to the very heart of God. I know it's silly, but look at, look at Saul's response. I'm going, bro, like we got to, He's going, I know we took this stuff, but I thought I was obeying. It was the people. He's saying, you know, essentially, he's going, I know we took the money from the cash register, but we're going to give it in the offering anyway. 
I know we took this stuff, but we're going to worship God with it. Don't try and worship with something that doesn't belong to you in the first place. The Bible says that it is, a, it, is, it is to the folly or the foolishness of man to consider something holy. What, what, what I think that verse is beginning to tell us is I can't help but think of the life of Saul. Thinking I'm going to worship God, but I was, I'm trying to worship him with something that I was never meant to have in the first place. Let me say it even simpler. Worship is not a substitute for your obedience. And that, I think, is the heart of really this passage today. You can use it all kinds of ways. My mom used to say this. Obedience is better than sacrifice. What's it really saying? It's saying that, that worship is, it doesn't matter how many worship services you go to if you're going to live in pride all your life. I like that. You can't say amen, you say ouch. <laughs> I'm not saying this to you. I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning. God has challenged me in this area to think of all the things in my life that I want to worship God with. And God's simply like, have you obeyed me? Let me just ask you this. Is there something in your life that God has asked you to do that you have not done? Maybe the inverse. Is there something that God has asked you not to do? that you are continued stuck in doing. See, worship is not a substitute. The heart of this message, what's better than sacrifice? Obedience is. And contrary to what we may think, God doesn't need this big grand gesture. God doesn't need a 21-day fast. He doesn't need this religious parade. He just simply is asking for your obedience. For isn't that the true act of worship? I'll close with this. The book of Samuel is laid out um, thematically, which means that part of the, the, the contrast that we are given to the life of Saul is another king that rose to follow, it was the life of David. Part of what I think the scriptures, the wisdom of the scriptures would tell us is we see so clearly the mistakes of Saul by the life of David. There's two guys, one, one man very clearly after his own heart and the other after God's heart. It wasn't because David had no mistakes. He made, he made a lot of mistakes, but I really believe that David's heart was to obey God. David writes in Psalm chapter 51, no doubt thinking of the foolishness and the failure of Saul, his predecessor. David writes this. He says, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You, you would not be pleased with a burnt offering. Verse 17, for the sacrifices of God or, or what God really wants is a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. You think, hold on, I thought God wanted to be worshiped. Like it's called a sacrifice of praise. Let me just make this, as we close today, as, as clear as I can for us. What God is asking for, or the sacrifice that God wants, is you. You are the sacrifice. 
something better than sacrifice is when you are sacrificed. You know what I found obedience is? Obedience to God is the sacrifice of our will. Unwavering obedience to God, unconditional obedience to God, unrestricted obedience to God is the sacrifice that God is asking for when we lay ourselves down. It's what Romans 12 says. Your true act of worship is when you're the sacrifice. We started the message this way. I'm just telling you what God requires, what God is looking for among his people today is this word consecration. It's like a, if you think of it, it's like, a, it's like you signing the, a blank check that is your life over to God. Saying, God, you can have it all. 90%, 100%. It's all yours. And you can spend it how you want. That there's not gonna be a part of me that's, that's off limits to God. It's all for him. When my... The, 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 the psalmist David said this, the broken spirit and a contrite heart. To say, God, at your feet, I'm disposed only to do your will. This moment of consecration. We've been reading together in uh, our young adults community, the, the gospel of Mark this season. And um, as we've been studying it, there's, I just, I think a phrase that gripped me, if you were at Third Wednesday this past week, you might've heard this. But you know, Jesus, he invites people to follow him. And initially Jesus's invitation is to come and see. But as the story progresses, Jesus kind of turns up the cost on following him. And you know, across all four gospels, repeated over and over and over again, Jesus's most common invitation is to take up our cross. It's essentially to come and to die. Jesus's invitation, if, if we wanna follow him, Mark chapter 38, verse 34 says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross to follow me. And that's the invitation for all of us today. We don't have to try and perform. We don't have to try and posture. We don't have to get all into the religious pageantry. We just have to make a decision. Are we gonna obey Jesus's word, his, his words, to say that off, simply offering myself in surrender? But here's the, the great hope that we have because I'm not just here to, to beat you up. I've been, I've been disobedient. We all have, but you know, the hope that we have in the gospel is that Jesus's obedience is enough. For all the ways that I've been disobedient, for all the ways that I've bargained with God, for all the moments that I've failed and fallen short, the Bible says that Jesus's obedience was enough for there in a garden, Jesus knelt down and prayed. He said, not my will, but your will be done. He said, God, if there's any way out of this, really don't want to do it. But I trust that you know best for me. And Jesus' obedience led him to carry a cross up a hill called Calvary 
where he was mocked, beaten, and died. His blood was shed. And his obedience led him to a place of death so that we could live. I have to tell you today, Jesus's cross, it's, it's at the very front of our faith. But it's not simply because of the forgiveness that it offers. Let me just say this. Jesus is, the cross of Jesus Christ is not just something that he did for us. It is also something that we must do with him. See, it was the cross of Christ that paved the way that I don't have to live with, with, with sin or with shame or with, with the, the guilt of my past. Jesus has paved the way. His blood covers that. I have access to God the Father. I've got a purpose. I've got a hope in heaven because I believe in Jesus. But there is also an invitation to take up our own cross. To say, I'm laying myself down at the altar. Giving of myself. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.